So today we are officially entering our spring ango training. And in this ango, we unite our efforts in, in setting out a clear intention to really shake things up, to do something different, something new, and to tighten up the slack, as we decided to, to call it. And the, the idea of creating collective theme that focuses on strengthening individual commitment came out of many <coughs> dokusans, many discussions, many, many, time, many times listening to what's really going on and what we need to work on. And, and I find that it is one of the more common issues that we experience as practitioners. Right? The challenge of dealing with the loss of momentum and, and devotion. Right? It's, a, it's a common challenge, challenge of a spiritual practitioner on a spiritual journey. And as you can imagine, it's, it's prevalent in many Zen communities. It's not just us here. A lot of people feel very enthusiastic about practice, have some sense of clarity, and before long, lose it. Not lose it, but lose touch with it. I think it will be beneficial for us to, to use this time to examine how much slack we have allowed to enter our practice and to tighten it up in specific ways which I outlined the last Teisho and also in the Ango commitment form. And the aim is to create that clarity in our lives that, and, and maintain seamlessness and at the same time deepen our appreciation and love for the Buddha Dharma. And I'm using the word love purposefully, because this is what we have to experience. It is deep love for life. In the past few teachers, I, I focused on taking on the issue of taking personal responsibility for developing and maintaining a strong practice which, of course, is the essential aspect in Zen training. Especially for those who are a part of a Zen center in a suburb or a city. Or not, monastics. Which means that most of the time is not spent with fellow practitioners. And most of the time, there is no teacher around who will tell you what to do, what not to do, guide you, ask you to look at this or that. Most of the time, you're on your own. And that's the crucial time. This is where the momentum is lost. Not here. Out there. 
So it's up to you, it's up to each of us to uphold the practice. It means to keep stoking the fire of your commitment and to be watchful of the daily winds that threaten it. Sometimes the winds are very strong and it seems as if the, the, the fire is gone. But there is a, a pilot there. There is a spark. No matter how strong the winds are, we have to find our way to that spark over and over again and keep reigniting it. And this is real. It's not just a cliché. This is real. It is absolutely up to each of us. You know, we chanted this morning the Atadipa. I don't know how many of you looked at the translation, but uh, what it says is that you are the light. Dwell. You are the refuge. Have no other as your refuge. Light of the Dharma. Refuge of the Dharma. Have no other as your refuge. You are the light. It doesn't always feel this way, obviously. But there are forces, streams in us that can guide us, can show us the way. If we know how to listen, if we know how to look. You know, it's like when you throw a seed in the ground, the seed knows exactly what to do. It doesn't contemplate. It doesn't lose the trust or momentum. It is obeying. It is at one moment with. And that which is, it, it is at one moment with is telling it exactly what to do. And it is willingly obeying. In the same way, we need to be willingly obeying that in us that is telling us always what to do, how to move. Some of you may remember the Chapana Sutra where the Buddha used the analogy of six animals in speaking about developing a strong post of practice. I'd like to bring up some parts of it as we begin the angle. He said, if a person catching six animals of different ranges, of different habitats, were to bind them with a strong rope, catching a snake, a crocodile, a bird, a dog, a hyena, a monkey, he would then tie each of them with a strong rope and then tying a knot in the middle. So each each animal is tied up with a rope and all those and the other side of those uh, the rope is tied up together to a knot and then he would set them free and those six animals of different ranges and different habitats would each pull towards its own range and habitat the snake would pull thinking i'll go into the anthill the crocodile would pull thinking i'll go into the water the bird thinking, I will fly into the air. The dog will go into the village. The aina will go into the channel ground, cemetery. 
The monkey would pull thinking, I'll go into the forest. And then these six animals become internally exhausted because each one of them is pulling to a different direction. And at the end, they will submit, will surrender to the one which is stronger amongst them. So one of those six animals will lead the other five. And then he said, in the same way, when a person whose mindfulness immersed in the body is undeveloped and unpursued, the eye pulls towards pleasing forms, the ear pulls towards pleasing sounds, the nose pulls towards pleasing aromas, the tongue pulls towards pleasing flavors, the body pulls towards pleasing tactile sensations, and the intellect pulls towards pleasing ideas. This, the Buddha said, is lack of restraint, which is what we're doing, tightening things up, developing restraint. And this is what we experience. This is how the winds show up in our everyday life. The winds that try to threaten the fire, the flame. And then he goes on to say, and what is restraint? There is the case where a person, seeing form with the eye, is not obsessed with pleasing forms, is not repelled by unpleasing forms, and remains with body mindfulness established, with immersible awareness. He discerns, as it actually is present, the awareness release, the discernment release, where all unskillful mental qualities that have arisen utterly cease without remainder. So he realizes, he, she realizing, that things arise and vanish freely all the time. Not taking ourselves so seriously, not taking what we think so seriously. Not believing every thought, not believing any, every sensation, every scent, every sound, every sight. I think it's quite arrogant of us to think that with, with the limited eyesight that we have, we can actually see things as they are with these eyes. Obviously the eyes are limited, the ears are limited. How arrogant is it to think that we can think our way through life? Our, our cognition faculty is so limited. Even if you're brilliant, it is limited. It is not a good way to go through life, to figure it out step by step through thought or all the other five senses. He says, hearing a sound with the ear, smelling an aroma with the nose, tasting a flavor with the tongue, touching tactile sensation with the body, cognizing an idea with the intellect. He's not obsessed with pleasing ideas, and he's not repelled by unpleasing ideas. Dwelling nowhere, he raises the body-mind, right? dwelling nowhere. Dwelling on our thoughts is dwelling somewhere. That's how we create it. 
And then he says, just as a person, if a person catching six animals of different habitats were to bind them with a strong rope, but in this case, instead of binding them together to a middle knot, he would tie the six animals to a strong post rooted deeply in the ground. And, like before, each of these animals will try to pull towards its own habitat. But since they're all tied to a post on the other side of the rope, they will eventually become internally exhausted and would stand, sit, or lie down right there next to the post. Right next to the post. In the same way when a person whose mindfulness is immersed in the body is developed and pursued, the eye does not pull towards pleasing forms, and unpleasing forms are not rep repelled. The ear does not pull towards pleasing sounds. The nose does not pull towards pleasing aromas. The tongue does not pull towards pleasing flavors. The body does not pull towards pleasing tactile sensations. And the intellect does not pull towards pleasing ideas. And unpleasing ideas are not repelled. This is restraint, he said. And then he said, train yourself by reciting this. We will develop mindfulness immersed in the body. We will pursue it, hand it the reins, and take it as a basis, give it a grounding. We will steady it, consolidate it, and set it about properly. That is how you should train yourself. Very fitting, isn't it? So, in the midst of windy life, in the middle of that, we train ourselves while we feel that the six senses are pulling us in all directions. It makes sense, it doesn't make sense. I want to do it, I don't want to do it. It feels good, it feels bad. And when we work on it this way, something actually quite miraculous happens when we don't believe what we think and smell and hear and touch or at least if we don't identify with it we set ourselves free because this is how the self binds itself or this is how we bind ourselves so it's not just to train ourselves to not go with the thoughts by training ourselves to not go, go with the thoughts, we train ourselves to be who we are. Because we don't believe what shows up. It doesn't mean it doesn't show up. It doesn't mean we don't feel, we don't have sensations, emotions, thoughts. All it means is that we cease to identify with them. And this is on us, because most of the time you are practicing by yourself, doing whatever it is you're doing, commuting, working, taking care of children, paying the bills, taking care of the house. This is where the practice happens. And with that, in that you experience multiple emotions, thoughts, sensations trying to pull you in all directions. Naturally, the nose has its own habitat. It's designed to, to smell. The mind has its own habitat too. Think of mind. It is designed 
to think thoughts. So naturally, it will pull towards that. Same with all the other senses. And we need to develop a strong post of practice, stability, mountain-like seat, from which we observe and learn to not go with. We keep returning over and over again. How do you do that? How do you return when you feel pulled by thoughts, emotions, sensations? What works for you? To love the Buddha Dharma is not an idea. It's practice. It's practicing to remind ourselves. Here it is, here it is, here it is, step by step. Sometimes, I said yesterday, Jukai study, sometimes all it means is just making sure that our feet are planted on the ground firmly. Sometimes that's all it takes. Because it draws attention from the senses into this. While keeping this unboxed. While not defining this. Sometimes all it takes is just averting your eyes down to the ground for a few seconds. While the chaos is chaotic couple seconds, look down, connect, remind yourself, there it is. Okay, now what? Now what, what does life want me to do right now? What do I need to do? How can I be of service to life, to others, to the circumstances I'm meeting? From there, from this post, we meet with adversities. From there, we meet with inclement weather. From that post. And the post is not a position, a place. It's not limited to the way it looks, the way it smells, the way it sounds. It's unboxed. And when we meet adversities from there, we are actually less likely to be shaken up by what happens. We are much more likely to find a way to maintain clarity, or at least enough clarity to be able to function from wisdom. We are, we are shaken, obviously. We are taken and shaken by things that happen. But we have to do the work to go back to the post of practice. Because it doesn't just happen by itself. You are the light. Doesn't mean you always experience light. Still, you are the light. And we, are, we have to strengthen ourselves over and over and to work on that, like working on a muscle. Gotta do it. If you don't do it, it's going to atrophy. You know, the six paramitas, uh, paramitas are perfections. Fourth one talks about that. The first one is dana paramita, the 
perfection of generosity. I'm going to probably talk about that next few months, about each of them. Next one after that is the Sila Paramita, which is perfection of morality through upholding precepts. Third one is Ksanti Paramita, perfection of patience. Fourth one is Virya Paramita, perfection of energy, courage, which is what we're working on. Then Dhyana Paramita, meditation, Zazen. And Prajna Paramita, wisdom. But the fourth one is Virya, which translates as diligence, enthusiasm, or effort which is exactly what we are trying to do when we speak of tightening up the slack. It refers to the development of both the physical and mental energies, both physical and mental. And it is said that there are three aspects of this paramita. The first one is the development of character. It is also about cultivating the courage and determination to stay on the path regardless of the changing conditions. Which means to drop the excuses and justifications we so cleverly come up with when we decide to veer off the path. Which again means not to take our thoughts so seriously. Not to believe everything that shows up to examine, to put it to test. Actually, our practice is, 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 is we say, say we're upside down, we have to change the way we see life, reality completely. We usually, we are taught to believe what we know and to, or to trust what we know and to not trust what we don't know. And we're asking ourselves here to do the opposite, to not trust what we know and to trust what we don't know. That's why it's terrifying at times. And, and often, the more you grow in wisdom, the more resistance you will experience. Because there's something in us that knows that wisdom is its end. And like anything that doesn't want to die, it will do all it can to survive. Sometimes people are terrified. They say, I want to stop practicing right now. I want to drop out completely. And it's an important time on the path in the practice because it's important to look at it because that can make you go back to old habits, thinking that you will find solace there. But if we work with it, correctly, it's a great place to be because there's a lot of deepening that happens after that. If we stick with the path, we stay with the practice. The second aspect is spiritual training. Now it includes uh, reading Buddhist texts, listening to teachers, of course, working on koans, devotion to liturgy, communication and sharing with other Sangha members, by doing all we can to stay engaged and to keep the level of enthusiasm high and stay inspired and inspire each other. Inspire each other. 
Eitken Roshi wrote uh, about that in practice of per, uh, perfection. He said the second one, Virya, is a matter of taking one's practice in hand, of not depending solely on the teacher or on the Sangha, or even on the practice to do it. And that's the heart of Vidya. We have to muster up the courage. And the third aspect of uh, this Paramita is the practice of being of benefit to others. And those are all skillful ways to realize that we're holding on to an illusion. Not by convincing ourselves or each other that we are holding on to an illusion, but by doing something that the illusion doesn't want you to do. By going against the illusion. That illusion is not big on being of service to others. So in this case, it means to open us, to open ourselves up to the suffering that is so prevalent in our world, to bear witness, and to nurture bodhicitta, the mind that strives to awaken for the sake of all creation. If it's not the mind that strives to awaken for the sake of all creations, it's not bodhicitta. Because it is self-serving. And if we practice this way, it helps us, it helps keep out, keep efforts to remain the efforts alive. Otherwise they die out, to keep them going, right? Because the efforts can be Sometimes our efforts can seem as if we are on the path, as if we are actually energized to do it, but if we look deeply, there is a hidden self there. Right? I want other people to say that I'm a good person, that I'm nice. There's something hidden there. It's not out of bodhicitta. So we're here today, and, and I think it's wonderful that we got together, a bunch of us, and it's very uh, encouraging to see many of you here today. And I'm sure we all feel very energized today, but the question is not just that. The question is, what about tomorrow? What about next week, next month? You know, how can we keep it going? Because tomorrow, next week, next month, something is going to happen. Something always happens. And then what? Can we keep it going? Can we keep it alive? Will we? I don't know. I will do what I can to keep my practice alive and to keep all of you energized. But this is just half. The second half is, of course, on each of you. This means to keep up with listening to Tasha's if you're not here. It means to keep up with reading emails. There aren't that many. Maybe a little bit more for the next couple of months, three months, because there are specific things I want to bring up in relation to what we are working on. 
It means to stay on top of it. And even with that, I mean, I know last week I gave a talk about Ango, and I did that a week before, so we have some time to work with it. And I know that not everybody, some people listened to it yesterday, and a few have not at all yet. Well, that's not the way to deepen and strengthen anything. You know, we throw it in the, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it, What am I strengthening when I practice in this way? Because I'm always strengthening something. You know, a monk once asked Joshu, how can I practice 24 hours a day? And Joshu said, do not be used by the 24 hours of the day. Do not be used by your habits. Do not be used by your six senses. To practice 24 hours a day is to put the Buddha Dharma on the tip of the nose, as it is said. So we never lose sight of it. So we make it a priority. It's not a priority above other things. It's a priority to practice 24 hours a day. What do we practice? Whatever is going on. So it's not that we take time to practice and then other things fall by the wayside. And sometimes other things need to fall away if we practice honestly. As I mentioned last week, sometimes we, uh, some things need to be dropped because they are not serving what we want to serve. They are serving something else. Sometimes our activities are designed to take us away from practice. So we don't look, so we don't address what we need to address. So we create displacement activities. There's lots to do. It's not easy. But that's the way we need to practice. Because if we don't, other than maybe we have a stamp on our forehead that says you are a practitioner, there's not much else to it. If you want to practice, practice. If you want to wait, wait. So today we will seal this uh, Ango entry after each, each of you comes up and states the commitment. We will see it with Fusatsu, precepts, retaking the vows. So we can be reminded what it means to practice 24 hours a day because most of the time we're not alone. We are all practicing with other people. How do we function with other people? What kind of mind are we fostering, strengthening? What do we believe when we interact with others? The sila, the precepts, the word, the word fusatsu, right? Sila is the precepts. And the word fusatsu comes from the Sanskrit word posada, which means to fast and to purge the body of harmful toxins that have accumulated as a result of consuming unwholesome food. 
In this case, like the body, the mind can also be intoxicated by an accumulation of harmful impurities through unobserved thinking, unwholesome words, and unwholesome actions. So in this context, in our practice, the word fusatsu has two meanings. It means to nurture the mind with wholesome nourishment and to deprive the mind of unwholesome nourishment. Now again, there's a lot there that we have to uh, unpack in our lives. What does it mean? Because to the unobserved mind, everybody is doing what, what is wholesome, right? It's great. I feel good. That's the parameter. I feel good. It's wholesome. I don't feel good. It's unwholesome. But is it? We got to look deeper. Because sometimes it's exactly the opposite. What doesn't feel good is wholesome. What feels good is unwholesome. So that takes different way of looking. So we will begin today with making a commitment in front of the Sangha. Each one of you is going to stand up one at a time, go to the Haishiki, read the commitment, make a full bow, and hand over your form. And then after that, we will all end with Fusatsu. 